got friends, only wanna talk business. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I got expensive, cause when is expensive. I've been getting all the work. I've been shutting down the stars. Yeah, cause when it rain, then it pours. Yeah, and I'm ready for some more. What's up, Kevin Hill? <laughs> Not much, Dooner. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. A week ago, we were sitting right next to each other during the virtual event to define freight. Freight Waves Live at home. Great time. Great time. The virtual event last week. Yes, you were in studio, and we were behind this desk right here. And now you're back in the Dooner bunker. Yes. With all the sales sharks, man. Check it out. Yes. All the <laughs> and I'm pulling up the uh, I'm pulling up the LinkedIn right now. So get you guys up here. Say hello. Say hello. Uh, yeah, and turn this week we are going to talk about aligning goals or aligning objectives. How not to incentivize a and hope for a, another result, and that's you know really on the folly of rewarding a. And, and hoping for B and, and not always getting B and how that, that affects sales teams and, and corporate goals and, and how sometimes those are very much in line and other times they, they kind of veer off path quite, quite widely sometimes. But first, Kevin, this episode is brought to you by truckstop.com, the world's yeah. most trusted load board. Want to find the best carriers at the best rates? See market data, build relationships and grow your business with truckstop.com. Guess what? Visit truckstop.com today for more information. And we have a guest. We have one of my favorite guests on there. We talked to him at Freightways Live at home during What the Truck, and he's going to be on this show. Steven Budenthal, uh, Director of Portfolio Services at truckstop.com. Really excited to bring him up. We did have a couple comments, though. So before we close the book on Freightways Live at home, there are a few shout-outs there. Jamin, he said, great topic, Kevin Hill. I got to admit, Freightways Live at home had awesome networking opportunity but I realized that I was a little overwhelmed at how to best approach the new networking. Can't wait to hear from you and Timothy Dooner for some tips, something we could all benefit from having a strategy around. You know what, Kevin? I think that the best way to to have approached that, and and um, I'm, I'm not sure if you agree with me, would be to just join that Slack channel and just start having those conversations and go to that icebreaker at the end of the day. And by day two, I I felt really comfortable doing all of that stuff. First day, a little bit of a transition. Yeah, the first day was a. It was you know all three days was a learning curve. I, icebreakers were. It was a great a great thing to do afterwards, like like a normal happy hour. I, I met a lot of people during the icebreakers, but yeah, just get in the the, the channel, the, the Slack channel, and and play around and see what works and what doesn't. I think we're all learning on the fly for for all three days, uh, and I think we'll do an, an episode here in the next couple of weeks, uh, uh, detailing what we learned worked the best and, and what didn't because it was. It was in a lot of ways, it was a grand experiment uh, of what we were doing. I would say that also use the use the platform to its advantage. So we use this Slack chat room for networking. If someone was, went up to you at an event, if 10 people went up to you at once and started commenting, that would be very overwhelming. But the great advantage of being digital, being on Slack is posterity, right? You can always go back and see whatever conversations you missed. And you can go back and read other conversations between other people mm-hmm. that may interest you or you feel you could add value to. By the way, that Slack is still open. So if you go to FreightwaysLive.com, right, you can go and sign up for that Slack channel. I think we're, we're keeping it open into perpetuity. 
I think we are. You know, certainly we, we have uh, other events coming up. We have July 21st. We have a, a, a summit for uh, freight brokerages and 3PLs. I think that's July 21st. We just announced that yesterday. Uh, I, I, it could be the, the same Slack channel for, for that event as well. Uh, but a good thing on you know, doing research, like you were just saying, on the Slack channel is that you can go back and, and do that research, find out comments uh, and, and conversations that you might have missed out on that, that you can then reach out to, to to people to have is that it's full of a lot of LinkedIn posts and, or or URLs uh, for people's uh, LinkedIn profiles, and you can always resume that on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, that's LinkedIn a- or on Slack or, or contact them anywhere and, and anyhow that they uh, the, the they live whatever platform. That's they live a treasure on. trove. Just go to linked up on there. All those are there. Like we said, into perpetuity. Lisa Petty, speaking of LinkedIn, she says, good morning, everyone. Emily Zink, she said, I like Kevin's vest. Red really makes a statement. She thinks you could close some deals today wearing a vest like that. Ahmed Kumar, he says, what does truckstop.com do? They're the world's most trusted load board. Travis Dodge says, hola. Chris Jolly says, looking forward to today's episode. Uh, Felicia says, hi, guys. Gregory Grams, good morning to all the Glen Garys. Kenneth Carter, I've made valuable connections within that Slack. It's a great resource. Yeah, that's all we're saying is, is go check it out. One more comment was, uh, or two more, Aiden Slack. Speaking of Slack, Watkins, uh, that wasn't set up. He says the conference as a whole is an exercise in quick adaption to current events. I loved how you guys had Slack running in conjunction with the events, and I was able to do some seriously effective networking and meeting people. My question is, are digitally interactive conferences the new norm? I think that they're a great enhancement product, especially when there's a pandemic. Yeah, they are the dorm right now because there's no other alternatives. There are no live events. I, I don't think it will ever overtake live events because uh, that in-person uh, networking is, is very important. But as you said, a, a great complement or augmentation for events. So a lot of companies that can only do one live event because it's a, it's, it's a chore. It's an undertaking to do a live event. You can augment that with one virtual event. So then you have two events. One plus one equals two, right? So you have two events, but one's virtual. Yeah. If you can command that that technology and and have a great user experience, it is uh, it's a very good marketing and revenue tool. But a, a word of warning: it's not the easiest thing to throw. Like we made it look seamless, but that took a ton of work. That took hours and hours and hours by our production team. Emily Zink running that whole thing. So it's mm-hmm. not it's not super easy. I mean, you can do it like I've it seen people. I've seen people doing this and, I, and it makes me mad. They're marketing webinars as virtual conferences now with like Zoom with like six people in it. Like, mm-hmm. Don't don't belittle the brand. Save save conference for the bigger guns. Right. <laughs> I, you're exactly right. It's 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 strange because I, I'm a I'm a new media entrant right now. So, you know, over the last year or so. And and the amount of work it took to to do three days of content is staggering. I mean, these guys in, in the production booth and in the control room worked for I, two to three weeks straight without a day off. Yeah. And it started even before then. It took months to 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 make to to to, to put it on a production that went seamlessly and looked like it was effort free. The, the amount of work that went into it is is really staggering. Lisa Petty said she's excited for the event in July. Yeah, I guess if you didn't know, we're having another event in July. She's going to give herself more quality time and space to tune in. 
to to that program um, and stick around for the happy hours. Really good. I think that the first one was a learning experience. Logistics Sales Academy. The, my last comment from the event was great advice. Networking can be uncomfortable to many. And adding the virtual layer can certainly make things more awkward. I wholeheartedly agree that you can't jump, just jump into a sales convo virtually or not virtually. Be generally interested in learning about the other person and ask real questions and listens. That's a callback to during the show. We were saying that you're new to this virtual networking thing, but still remember that there's that they're all people in that Slack room. So just shouting out, you know, brand names or product names probably isn't the best approach. And and another approach might be to just find out what some people's problems are and seeing if you have a product fit that way. The, the one huge plus of a virtual conference, too, is as the sessions are going in an in-person conference, you're in your seat. You might talk to the person next to you that you probably know uh, because you're probably not going to talk to a stranger about what the people are saying up on stage. And, and no one can get your thoughts and opinions about the, the market or whatever topic it is, whether it's regulations or market dynamics or broker-carrier relationships, anything like that. But on Slack, you can just throw out your comments and for the whole world to see. So, number one, they better be good. And number two, they better be uh, thought-worthy and, and engaging because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get people to engage, and it's a much better uh, method for engagement than, as you said, just throwing out your brand, throwing out your marketing copy, uh, You know, basically being very pitchy and salesy. Yeah, on one, the Slack channel. One of the things that that we really loved about it too is we could transpose a lot of that interactivity we do on LinkedIn during this show regularly and bring it to a conference where you know conferences have to specialize that they have to specialize a Q and A section for you to get your questions up on the stage or get your feedback directly. And that was an awesome part about leveraging Slack as well is that anyone who was a part of the audience that at any time during any one of those live sets could interact with the host, get their questions up there, and they could even do callbacks to to back in the event. I really dig that and. Not having that at, at live events is going to actually be a bigger adjustment than doing these things virtually for me because we're just so used to doing this broadcast medium now. We're very used to it, especially on this show here, because we have such interactive uh, viewers and, and, and commentators all through the show, whether it's on LinkedIn or, or Facebook. Uh, we get a ton of Q&As during the, 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 the actual show that is just normal. You know, having the Slack channel open was just one more channel I have open and engage with with our viewership right here. Uh, people who are, are listening to us uh, that we're used to it. All we're right. used to it. And, and going and you're exactly right. Going back to a, a in-person conference, you're going to lose that. And that's a, a huge draw and plus, uh, plus of doing a virtual conference. All right, Kevin, it's time for our quote. And this one is. Cheers to all the rebels out there who care way too much about art and truth and magic to fall in line with the mundane task of fitting in. It's by Scott Stable. And the reason I pick it is because today's topic is aligning corporate strategy with sales strategy, getting everyone on the same page. Uh, I'm a uh, surprise, surprise, a bit, a bit of a rebel. You know, I thrive in an environment yes. like uh, like Freightways, but in stricter environments, especially people who just sort of want you to to follow their programming. I've always struggled a bit with that. So today we'll talk about some strategies on what works, what doesn't work. We'll look at we'll look at it from the sales rep perspective, from the leadership perspective, uh, from a marketing perspective, and see how all those points can come together. Yeah, I've I've struggled with it too. Uh, very strict, uh, disciplined environments where I come in and do one task every day. I've I've just never thrived in whatsoever. I like to do a variety of things. I like maybe it's ADHD. I I, I don't know, but. I like to have a, a lot of variety in my job functions and ability to go out and just create things, uh, which is great because Freight Waves gives both of us that, that opportunity. 
And former guest Jason Eckert, he, uh, when you put this topic out there, he said this is the perfect time in the economic cycle to make and ensure your revenue generation goals are aligned with your organization strategy. All cylinders in your revenue engine need to be firing in sync to give you the best chance of weathering the current storm. And, you know, I like that he says that. I was thinking about that quite a bit. And we're hearing about all these Zoom meetings that people are having. And, uh, you know, people are in more, some people are in more meetings than ever now that they've gone virtually, especially sales teams. And, and this does, this is a great opportunity to do that training that may not happen all of the time because people are just in their regular routine. And I think that if there's any benefit to take from this pandemic, it is to normalize some of the good behaviors that we learn throughout it. Uh, you're exactly right. So with, with Zoom meetings, not being face-to-face in person, uh, it, it disrupts the, the whole kind of sales management style. So there's uh, there's opportunities for really good innovation and a better way to do things, better way to incentivize people, uh, better KPIs, better metrics. So we'll see on the other end of this curve as we, we go through this. We've been through it, what, about eight to ten weeks now? Uh, another eight to ten weeks, we should get some really good data back to see what's really changed and what probably won't change and the results of that. Stephen Elliott, he says, it's exactly like pitching right after making connection on LinkedIn. If you wouldn't do it in meeting someone in person, why would you do it online? Build a relationship, then the business follows organically. Uh, hell yeah. He also said that passionate, that rebel is just another word for passion. That was Martin Mayotte. He said rebel is just another word for passion. I agree with both of those sentiments. You yeah. you kind of narrow this down, though. So you are saying that the 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 big management classic or the big management uh, failure a lot of times is rewarding A, but hoping for B. Let's jump into that. Yeah, so it's a paper that was written back in 1975 by Stephen Kerr, not the Chicago Bull or the, the Warriors head coach, Steve <laughs> Kerr, but, but Stephen Kerr, and it's titled On the Folly of, Folly of Rewarding A and Hoping for B. So a lot of times uh, we, we pick very visible objectives or, or yeah, very visible objective kind of measuring tools that don't that, that don't actually work, right? And here's some some examples from from this paper, right? We hope for B, right? But we're going to reward A. So we hope for long term growth, environment, long term growth, and relationship building uh, business, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a sales or, or a company, and but we reward, especially for public companies, quarterly earnings, right? So we reward the short term focus. But we we really want the long term business relationships. Or Kevin, Same thing with teamwork. Kevin, I would no, say ahead, in Tim. sales too. I mean, that for companies, but for sales reps, yeah, exactly. Most yeah. of us are, are not even quarterly; it's monthly. So it's very, very, it's, mo- it's very challenging to build these and to pitch these long term accounts, even though you're told all the time to build relationships. When they never sort of kind of pause your quarterly numbers and take into effect the impact that you're doing on the back end and using Salesforce because Salesforce is everything and seeing those relationships that you're building and instead it's just well what is that number at the end of the month because you always got to answer to it and it's tough. You, you do. So you focus all your activities on making that number at the end of the month instead of what the real goals actually are, which are these long-term profitable business and sales relationships. But you never have time to actually put in the work needed to, to build those because you got to make your monthly numbers. right? So that's one of those we're going to reward A, which are monthly numbers, but we really want long-term business relationships. And it's where the where, where that just 
those sales objectives or those company objectives just aren't aligned. Same with teamwork, right? Mm-hmm. We want teamwork. We want teamwork, but we're going to reward individual effort. And you see this a lot with sports stars, right? Uh, you know, NBA players don't get uh, paid for passing the ball. You know, Major League Baseball players don't get paid for bunning, right? So it's all home runs. So it's all that individual effort, but we're going to reward that. But we, what we really want is a team effort. So those aren't quite aligned. Yeah, not looking at a shooting percentage and assists, right? Just looking at uh, the mm-hmm. PPG where, uh, you know, a lot of reps, I, I think a lot of yeah. times sales reps too, they get put in the grinder, right? And they don't have the management structure in place to recognize which sales personality they are or where they fit in the organization. Because not everybody's a hunter. Some people are account nurturers. Some people are farmers. There's all different types. We'll get into that in a bit, but we have a few more here to break down. One of them that you pointed yeah. out was setting stretch goal objectives that are just too challenging. They're too off, overarching. And I think we've all been in organizations like this, too, where they put some number out there. It's impossible to hit. Nobody in the team hits it. And if they do, it's it's, yes. that, it's that old guy in the back of the room who's making off legacy accounts. And it's very discouraging, I think, to all the other reps just because of how unrealistic it is. And I think that psychologically what that does to those to those reps that survive is they stop caring about that number because it doesn't matter because it's unenforceable and it's unattainable. You're exactly right. So, so you have these stretch goals and then you get penalized if you don't hit these stretch goals. Uh, the stretch goals really should be in place to to to, to encourage the activity to generate the activity with sales calls or presentations or cold calls or cold emails to actually attain those stretch goals. But if you do all the activity that you think you need to do to, to hit that stretch goal, you probably hit a very realistic goal. So if you get penalized for that, uh, then then the incentives are all out of whack as well. Yeah, 100%. That makes sense. You no. know I mean? Uh, it takes it takes a lot more effort and time and resources to, to hit that normal goal than you ever expect. So if you do that stretch goal and you do all this activity to hit that, but you fall short, you're still probably going to land at a very good number. Yeah, I mean, there's that fallacy of, of it's just a numbers game, right? It's just a numbers game. If it's just a numbers game, if you're in management, you're saying it's just a numbers game. If those words come out of your mouth then what purpose do you serve? What purpose does your product team serve? What purpose does your marketing serve? If it's really just numbers, anybody can just pick up the phone. It's all numbers. Why are you developing things for your reps to sell if it's just numbers? You need in management to be able to answer that question. You definitely do. And, and I want to go back to teamwork, right? So everyone wants to incentivize for teamwork. And a lot of times you just can't incentivize. A lot of times teamwork is natural. It's natural to the, the intangibles of a, of a single group. So if you try to replicate that by incentivizing, it probably won't work all that well. And it's, it's because it's not based on the incentive. It's based on just the, the, the natural cohesiveness of that group, right? So, so the results of, of that teamwork, a company can so, sometimes just be a bystander, Right, that they just put all the pieces together, and that they have this really good result. But trying to replicate that by incentivizing uh, is hard to reproduce and replicate. And a lot of companies go off the rails trying to do that. Yeah, Clay Longworth, he says, preach it, brother. Bruno Delillo, he says, best comp plan I had involved not only hitting your individual number but also the company number. It definitely helped you feel a part of the greater good. And Gregory Grimes said a company would need to provide personal incentives, tie them with a team, 
or a company goal and add on additional bonus if the team hits the goal, provides the individual with two opportunities for compensation and not making it so individualistic. But this brings me to our next section here is individuality versus company messaging. Is there room for both? Can we have rebellion with order, Kevin? That's a very good question. It's very tough to do. And kind of the the component plan that uh, you just read out kind of goes with, I mean, it was a very complex uh, comp plan. And it's not an easy thing to do. You know, I've seen very few comp plans that, that are really good. I mean, they all have problems. And it's just, you basically, you have to, to identify and accept uh, the, the problems that you can handle and to, to solve others. Because there is no magic bullet or silver bullet for comp plans or or rewarding A and hoping for B. And that's why it's so just so difficult. When I worked for a global 3PL that I won't name, what would happen there was they would go out to meet their agents overseas, right? And they would promise X amount of capacity. And then after those meetings, there would always be some sort of email that would say, you know, we need 15%, you know, X growth across some lane. And that would be it, though. They would never have like a sales meeting or any training or anything. They would just sort of throw that out there. And, you know, you're talking to reps who might be doing cross-border. They might be doing uh, a lot more CHB instead of instead of selling box. There's a lot of different parameters going on, even with our, in our own company, that you put an edict like that out on everybody. It created a lot of confusion. And you know what? Whenever they did that, I don't think we ever hit those numbers, that 15% growth in that lane. And it ended up being like most contracts with agents, like, you know, it was just written on paper, but never fulfilled. Yeah, you, you know the, the hard part's the execution of of all those deals. I mean, that's it's, it's it's tough to do, and just because it sounds like a good idea, and and you're expected to just go out and execute it without the, the foundation uh, involved. I mean, we we you know whenever I was a freight broker, we always wanted to diversify into domestic drive and freight, uh, but then again, we didn't have anyone on the floor who knew anything about domestic drive drive and freight we we all did really specialized uh niche things and we did really well at that and there's still a huge customer embrace to go out of but we always wanted to to diversify uh, our offerings and it always fell up short because we just didn't put the resources in to actually go out and and execute it yeah i think sales managers it's really always pumped into them oh you have to have sales goals you have to you have to look at the crm but there's not enough emphasis put on that training that internal marketing if you add a new product making sure your people understand how it works how they sell it people who join this business are coming from all different walks of life this is freight man a lot of people aren't coming out of college because they studied freight their whole life they're probably coming from some other industry i mean now that's changing a little bit with more programs but even people from that they come from the the abstract world of the academic when you're coming to the the real world of freight when you bring new products and you have to train your people on what it is and how it works, where is the market fit? You spend so much time building these things out, but not really enough time, especially in freight, letting your people know what exactly that is. Yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated uh, game, freight. You know, there's, there's, there's so many definitions and, and, and modes of transit and, and all these different variables. I mean, it's probably the, 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 the biggest free market that, that's out there. Uh, it's what, a seven or eight hundred billion uh, a year just domestically. So it's a very complicated game, and you do. You, you have to put in the resources and time and effort to do the proper training to, to make sure that uh, – just, just to make sure that everyone's on the same page, because I, I've seen a lot of uh, sales floors in, in the freight business that everyone's out chasing their own thing, and there's no real cohesive 
business plan whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, if sales becomes an island, your rep becomes like Tom Cruise in in, um, <laughs> in Castaway, right? Talking to a volleyball with a bloody handprint on it, taking a taking a cavity out with a with an ice skate. You know, they just they just lose all sense of humanity. And you know, this is an interesting time to bring it up too, because a lot of us do feel like we're on islands because we're in self isolation, working from home from our places. And I think that in those times, especially, communication is is key and essential. It is key. It is very much key right now because you, you know, isolation. I think is getting to all of us right now. Uh, I, I think we all want to to go to the park, to to go see our friends, go see our family, and everything. So communication is is key right now, and it's it's always better to over communicate than than under communicate. And in normal times, is so much more important to do that right now. The other thing that we don't do enough is to condense and break down. Let's say there were four selling styles, right? Let's say there's closers, there's uh, there's the consultative approach, there's the builders, and there's the expediters. All of those people have a different sales motivation, and different marketing dialogue is going to resonate with them in different ways, and, and thereby, it's going to resonate different with the clients and the leads they're able to cultivate based on their own style. And a lot of times, we, we use this one-size-fits-all sort of cookie-cutter way of trying to either motivate our teams or to present these new products or existing products that may not align, that may align with one of these styles, but then 75% of the people in the organization really don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, exactly right. So we have this, this, this broken down to closers, wizards, builders, and expediters. And, and I think Malcolm Gladwell in, uh, I think, Tipping Point has, has his three categories as well as connectors, mavens, and salespeople. And you kind of have to to design things around uh, what type of personalities, whether it's these four categories or if you use uh, the three categories of, of Malcolm Gladwell's, you have to be able to to, to, to fit everything in. You have to find the pers- people's personality types and, and – and whether you're in management to your own team or to customers, find out what kind of personality type they are and basically design a pitch or a product or a system of selling that, that really integrates into that. Well, we're just a couple of Cracker Jacks. So let's dial out to uh, an expert over here, Stephen Boob- <laughs> Boobital. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence starts. Hey, Steven, it's uh, Dooner and Kevin Hill playing a little inspirational music. Boom, liftoff. Boom, the Steven has landed. Steven, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. Twice in uh, about the span of a week here. It's great. (laughs) It's becoming a habit, right? (laughs) I know, man. It's good. Steven, so uh, introduce yourself to the audience, people who may not be familiar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name is Stephen Benboidel. I'm the director of uh, portfolio strategy at truckstop.com. I've been with Truckstop for uh, almost two years now. Um, prior to that, I was in the brokerage space at Coyote Logistics um, in a few different roles. So I've been in uh, freight for about six years or so. I'm in private that, had some sales experience at AT&T as well. Nice. Hey, Bill Vitti was supposed right. to be here. How is he feeling? He is doing well. Uh, he has, uh, even though we're, we're trying to, you know, beat him away with a stick and tell him to rest up, he's been, you know, kind of <laughs> hoarsely voicing his way through calls and battling through. But uh, finally, I think we're getting him to uh, get some rest. So 
wishing him a speedy recovery. Well, yeah, a smart, smart move. And, and uh, health, uh, if anything, has become paramount these days. Oh, yeah, no doubt about that. Hey, so we were Kevin and I were kind of talking about this before you came on and we were talking about sales reps versus management and uh, uh, individuality before and corporate messaging, launching new products, all these kind of things. You truckstop.com near the end of last year, you guys put out that book it now feature when truckstop goes about putting out a new feature. How do you go about letting the market know that exists and also letting your sales reps know where that fits in the market? Yeah, absolutely. And so um, I, I guess I'll, I'll kind of answer those in reverse, Pete, because um, without that internal alignment, um, you know, once you decide to do something uh, like we did with Book It Now, you got to make sure that your house is in order, um, you know, before you start inviting the neighborhood over to uh, come hang out, right? So um, starting on sort of the internal side, uh, we are fortunate um, enough to be a, a little bit larger of a company um, relative to some, where we do have a lot of teams and people involved. So we have an entire product marketing team um, who works very closely with the product managers and, and sort of my group to ensure that uh, they're able to fully understand what these products are, how they interact with one another, um, how they sort of build on our mission. And then really, it's their job to be the evangelist um, and the communicators of that value proposition uh, and how it can help our company internally. So they work closely with the sales reps as far as, you know, messaging. And, and this is how this should be explained. And they work closely with our uh, you know, normal marketing team to ensure that they have all the tools and sort of ammunition they need to start bringing um, this thing public and external. Um, and so once we kind of have everybody on the same page, we all understand where it is we're trying to go and, and more importantly, how we're trying to get there. Um, then the external marketing group, uh, you know, is constantly focused on really what are our, what is our brand guidelines? What have we decided is the most important and vital things uh, to our company? Uh, the values that we want to uphold, the mission, and, and what we're trying to do for our end users. Um, and then they come up with various things and, and messaging to specifically target the users um, and segment those that we feel like the product's going to benefit. So in our case with Book It Now, it was ensuring that, that carriers understand the ease of use, the access, and sort of the network effect they're getting. Um, and then also on the broker side, our, our other major set of users that they understand they're getting access um, to really that long tail of the industry, um, that it fits into their existing workflows, and that it isn't a huge lift, right? We're going to do a lot of the integration work um, because we know that the easiest way to get something killed is, is by people perceiving that as uh, a ton of work, right, or a ton of resources needed. That's so uh, kind of a, a high level. So Stephen, on uh, yeah, so so whenever you're you're launching a new product and taking it out the market and doing the education of that, what is I guess what's the fundamental building block of of that educational program? I mean, what what's the the most essential thing? Yeah, and so that's where a lot of our um, our customer intelligence team, uh, the research that we did. You know, obviously, our, our, our hope is that we never create a product that people don't want. Um, and so that is where we lean on all of those conversations that we've had, we, you know, whether it's at conferences or, or we have a customer advisory board that has meetings or, 
individual one-offs. We also do like user testing and, and experiments with our user experience team. Um, and then our data science team also collects information on how people are using the product. Um, and so from there, we take those different segments um, and we create and tailor uh, custom messaging and value to those specific groups. Um, and, you know, for some products like Book It Now, it, it touches really almost all of our user base. Um, for some, it's, it's really just one. Um, but that is where we, we firmly believe that it's worthwhile to put that, that work in and understanding who it's for and to be really precise with the value that it gives. Because, I mean, you guys are, are really in front of this more than I am and you see all the different companies and products and software. There, it's so easy to become inundated with all of the solutions and services you could have for your business. Um, so we want to be really targeted in why we think ours will help you. And the, always tying that value prop back to the user, what is in it for me, versus, hey, trucks up, you know, we built this product in a vacuum. We love it. You're going to like it. Like, that's not how the world works anymore. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. I, I've I've worked, I've I've been in sales, and I've I've been a part of new product launches, and a lot of time the focus is on, you know, here, here's this great new product. What does the marketing look like? But it isn't in communicating to the rep how it can help their client. Why is this important to the client? We know you're a sales rep. We know the sale is important to you, but you knowing why it's important to your customer is what is going to make that sale happen. Absolutely, and it it really is everything. It's um not only do we believe that it is mutually beneficial, right, and that you're going to get more sales uh, from understanding that, um, but we also believe that it it makes that conversation so much more deliberate and focused and gives us uh, a, another way to differentiate ourselves from competitors. You know, there is a ton of digital freight booking solutions. And that's, you know, that's just <laughs> the nature of the industry. Um, but what we want to convey, you know, as we go into those meetings and demos and these conversations is, hey, you're a, I don't know, 20 rep brokerage, you specialize in oversized, check this out. And it's about flatbed and, um, you know, open deck solutions and here's how why we're great. That's a much different conversation if you go into like a C.H. Robinson or a Coyote or someone like that. So. It, uh, we believe that it brings the value back to our end user by being focused on it, but also to us in that um, we can increase sales and, and sort of that revenue. Hey, Stephen, Martin Mayotte, he's a national account executive at Armstrong Relocation. He asked in our comments, Stephen, do the teams you're educating share the same vision? If not, what strategies have you used to get people on board? Um, you know, it's, and so I'm, I'm assuming that's internal teams, and so I'll answer it that way. Um, no, <laughs> the answer is no, not always. And there's certainly been times where, you know, uh, we, we meet and say it's uh, the product group and marketing groups and the sales reps who are, you know, uh, quote unquote boots on the ground. Uh, there have been, you know, back and forth and exchanges and, and sometimes, you know, people's uh, feelings can get hurt. You know, if you've worked on a product, it's been your, sort of uh, years work and you've just been so siloed in it. Um, but maybe things have changed and that sales rep understands that, hey, in my last X amount of meetings with this customer, they're not interested in, I don't know, a factoring solution. So 
So we need to rethink, you know, what our offering is for them. Um, I think what we have learned and, and what there's, there's still growing pains and there, there's still room to improve. Um, but as long as we can keep uh, tying it as much back. So if, if you have a disagreement or if you have, you know, I'm, I feel very strongly about this, um, backing that up with data or subjective, you know, comments. And then this is exactly what they told me they wanted. So just bringing supporting evidence to your car and then really remembering that uh, all of these groups internally, we all have the same mission. So whether it's uh, what I thought the best position was or what you thought the best position was, that should be a moot point, right? As long as we're all focused together on giving us the best chance to close a sale or to grow a product out. Um, and I think that has helped us remove a little bit of the uh, sort of emotions and, and sensitivity. But yeah, there's there's absolutely disagreements. You just have to try to be as fact-based and, um, you know, always remind yourself that you are a team. Uh, Scott Watanabe, he just had a real quick one. Uh, and Steven, uh, sure. I can connect with you with him on LinkedIn afterwards, but he said truckstop.com has had updates that some of his reps weren't aware of. So um, I'll, I'll put you two in touch on LinkedIn after the show, and then you can um, you can get him in touch with the right people. Yeah, would, would love to uh, help out with that. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Dooner, uh, why don't we uh, roll into the survey? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And yeah. Steven, you had a chance to look at this. I know you took it. A lot of people... In our comment section took it. A lot of people on LinkedIn took it throughout the internet. The first question was, does your leadership team allow the sales staff to voice their opinions on what is and what is not working? 59%, and I was a little uh, surprised, maybe encouraged, said yes. 29% says it depends. 12% said no. Uh, in most places I was in, I would probably would have answered no. Yeah. 59% is a pretty, pretty large uh, portion. What do you think, Stephen? I mean, yeah, I, I certainly know, um, I will say the larger companies tend to get and the more levels of sort of hierarchy and, and feeling of separation, typically you're, again, I, I don't mean this, you know, disrespectfully at all, like boots on the ground, your frontline employees, generally they're the ones with the most intrinsic knowledge, you know, and they're getting that direct feedback. They're the ones who have to execute on it. Um, so I, I do think it's a shame that it is that high. And uh, unfortunately, I think the, the bigger and larger these companies tend to get, uh, the more that sense exists. At least that was personally my experience. The larger company I was at, the more it kind of felt like I didn't really have a say in, in how we were going to steer the ship. Yeah, I, never, I, I agree with that. Kevin, I, 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 I agree with that sentiment. It's just... It's, uh, it's the, larger, the larger the company is, is the more structured it is. Yeah, and the the harder it becomes, right, to to create part of yeah, yeah, and in in a, a funnel to collect and uh, appropriately sort of divert the ideas and things to where they need to be. Yeah, I think that you should take these you should take these these negs, right? We talk about negs in sales all the time. People saying no, telling your reps. No. Well, when you're offering a new product or, or you're trying to present your services, you should crowdsource that information from your reps to hear the feedback from them. Use it as training material. What is the problem in selling our product? Is it is it the rep or is it the way we're going about putting it out there? There's a lot of different reasons. And uh, I think that you're leaving a valuable resource on the table if you just avoid and ignore that. And in the organizations I was in, there was not much focus 
on training based on what hadn't worked. Yeah. Yeah. And it, uh, I think that is one of the most common that I've seen. And I've, I've even been guilty of at times a fatal flaw in sort of creating the best sales or company approach is that, you know, you work really hard on these ideas and you have them out and you think they're great. But uh, with that sort of comes that, that, you know, if you play poker pot commitment where it gets harder and harder, the more time and energy and resources you put into something to say, shoot, you know, this, this isn't working like we thought it would. And so instead of, you know, wasting the million dollars or hundred dollars that you spent, people tend to double down and keep chasing it where, you know, if we can be very honest and that comes back to appropriately benchmarking, measuring and being very consistent and honest with yourself. But if you pull the plug in on something bad versus doubling down and chasing it, a lot of times you would be in a lot better position if, if you were just honest and said, this isn't going the way we thought it would. The next question we... Case. Uh, it's, it's also a case of, you know, basically starting out small and starting out with an idea and, and throwing a little bit of resources in it and testing out, testing out, see what what works and what fails. And because basically when you get to that million dollar investment and though those large investments, failure becomes, uh, you know, a bad word where if you don't have a lot of investment in it, you want to fail as, as quickly as possible, as much as possible, because it's a process of elimination uh, to, to find out what actually does work. True that. Let's jump to the next question. How closely com- compliant do you feel your company's key performance indicators are aligned with your ability to generate sales? 50% said that they were they were somewhat aligned. Again, no no surprise there. Uh, I, I imagine a lot of reps feel that. They think that, you know, that it, typical sales rep, right? You, you think your, your company has the right idea in some metrics. You've got to make the sales. You've got to make the numbers. But a lot of people, you know, if you take the, the bulk of the other ones, there are some that are not sure, not aligned, slightly aligned. Uh, only 20% said very aligned. So it does seem like there's definitely some room for for uh, further narrowing down within that one. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think uh, the two areas that I, I thought of, you know, it, it was fairly spread out there um, amongst the other ones. The two areas I think of that are hard to uh, quantify or measure and, you know, say yes, that's aligned is a, a lot of companies have sort of what I would call, you know, I don't know, soft benefits or more um, subjective KPIs, right? Like we, we are going to be, I don't know, we're going to come together as a team this year. And, it's, you know, yes, that's absolutely a vital and huge initiative. But what's the measurement on that? How are we really tracking and saying if we did good, bad, or medium? And I think the other area that popped out was just general tech investment and improvements. We all know that it's really needed in a lot of areas of of the supply chain and and companies. And those results, and it's a lot of work. It's heavy lifting. And a lot of times in the short term, that doesn't help sales guys or gals sell, right? And it Yes, in the long term, but there, there's also that sort of short-term payoff, long-term payoff um, dissonance that I think can cause some of these feelings of being not aligned. Exactly. Uh, let's, let's go to the next question, Dooner. Yes, how compliant are you with following your company's sales process and hitting key performance in indicators? The biggest one here was somewhat compliant, so uh, kind of echoes the one above where they're somewhat aligned, they're somewhat compliant. Although there were, you know, 
30%, 35% said they were very compliant. Uh, only 15% said they were somewhat compliant. So what that says to me is that a lot of reps are going out there and they are coming out of those meetings and they are trying to adhere to whatever those KPIs may be, even though if they don't align with whatever their sales strategy may be, whatever territory they in, there could be a variety of reasons. But um, that, I guess that feedback there does make sense as well. What it also kind of points out to me, though, and highlights is that those reps also probably feel, if they're somewhat compliant, that the communication could be better, that education we were talking about. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think a lot of it is, you know, you, you, you maybe get, hey, this is the value prop, um, but then you throw in because you're, I don't know, you have a 10 year relationship with somebody at the, the customer and you, you make slight tweaks, right? But it's, it's from knowing your audience. And I, I think that plays a role as well. And so it's one of those complicated things where, you know, KPIs, they, it's hard to, to have a standardized KPI for, for different sell styles and uh, different territories, you said, Tuner. Uh, so so it's, it's one of those that it's always going to be a problem because there's just no silver bullet or, or golden ticket to uh, to solve all of that. So you're always going to have uh, KPIs that don't work out for everyone. And you're always going to have, uh, you know, you're going to have your own KPIs that you're you're trying to incentivize or reward A, but you're always going to get B, and it's it's just part of sales. That's true. And then the next one was, which of the following sales marketing functions do you feel your objective and those in your company align? A lot of people are saying a good one, and this is probably a good one for you to hear, Stephen, as well, is the the product dialogue. So they are the, they think that what they're saying about the product is fine. It aligns with whatever their vision would be. Spot quoting, uh, fine. This is actually kind of flipped, <laughs> from my, my opinion. Uh, RFP was 49%. That was the lowest one on here. People not entirely agreeing with the RFP, RFQ process. If you're in the comment section and you voted that you, uh, you're not aligned there, I'm curious how you're not aligned in the RFP, because that's kind of a... It's kind of a loaded one. Well, I, th- I think some of it has to do with it's a very manual process for a lot of, of freight brokers and carriers out there. And the, the win ratio is is so low that I, I imagine a lot of sales reps think that they, they're wasting time uh, for the rewards that, that might be out there. I, I don't know. What's your take on this, Stephen? Yeah, I think also uh, just. Just given the um, cyclical nature of freight market cycles, really the the current market cycle that we came in, uh, we were seeing a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, maybe ish. Um, you know, to, to end to 2019, and you think there's going to be upturn. So I think the other part of the misalignment is one, if if you know, it's maybe a smaller uh, brokerage with less resources where. You don't really know, like, I don't know what I should be quoting next year. Is next year going to be higher, lower, the same as this year? Like, this is a big gamble. Um, and two is, is if, you know, either the individual or the company wide isn't really clear on their strategy for what they want their sort of like spot contract freight mix to be, or are we targeting volume or margin this year? I mean, this isn't just a small company problem. We've seen in the, uh, 3PL, the publicly traded companies, there's been some confusion and, and issues there with them as well. So I think it's, it's, re- it's harder than ever, obviously, uh, to predict out for a year. Um, and I think that causes some consternation in people, just the uncertainty. And you can really take a beating if you committed to something for a full year and, and things go south. A lot of times you'll have that communication to reps, which will there's they'll say, you know, go out and get whatever account you can. And 
that's fine, and that, that's a great amount of freedom, but with that freedom comes uh, comes some questions. For example, like, if I go out and I go to a small mom-pop shop, that's fine doing some transactional, but to, if I go to, like, a, an account like Hasbro, that's going to be a huge account. It's going to require it's gonna require us to hire an entire team to take care of it. Like, are you telling me we really have the infrastructure to do that? And that was some of the the missing dialogue that I felt when I was doing sales that that really should have been there just from that strategy perspective on what exactly should I be targeting to make you happy and to make us the most successful. And going yeah. off that, Junior, if you are trying to hit your monthly goals, you know, to go out and what was it, Hasbro, to go out and get Hasbro, that's not a, a 30 day sales turn. I mean, that could, that could be a relationship just to get your foot in the door, just to get your first bid, to get your second bid. So it's a lot of uh, time and resources devoted to. And, and if you're judged on your monthly number, it's, 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 it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to, to balance those two. Yeah, you got to survive two years before that Hasbro even pays dividends. Know, and, right? and you bring them on. It's a, it's a long process. Uh, Justin Shepard, he says that my sales staff includes me. And the company owner so easy to communicate where the sales and operations teams for marketing, but he's still wondering exactly what he should be KPIing sales on, which is, uh, huh. I mean, he knows his business better better than us. I, I, it's hard it's to advise. Personal there. question, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a personal question. I mean, there's uh, as as we kind of talked about, there is no silver bullet. I mean, unless selling uh, water or oxygen, you know, it's, it's going to be different. To, to everybody. I think the most important thing is just being super honest and brutally honest about where you're at, what your strengths are, what you're good at, and what you're not. Um, and really focusing on not just numbers. I think one of the, I think the largest fatal flaw in sales uh, is chasing a end number and not focusing on one, why do we care about this number? Two, what are the behaviors or actions that directly contribute to those? Because those are things that are coachable, right? Like if, if I just look at your number and it's 60 at the end of the month, how do I tell you to do better or different? Or So what are the behaviors that we're missing and those sort of input factors that lead you to the numbers you're trying to drive? Like that would be sort of my generalized advice. I like that you said that. It's almost arbitrary motivation, right? If the number is just arbitrary, so will the motivation will be, and so will the results. You'll just have arbitrary results. Uh, the last question we asked is, are you concerned you may lose your job due to a lack of sales or economic recession? We started asking this on March 25th, and now it is, what, May 13th, so it's almost been two months, and it's uh, it's almost a mirror image, right, Kevin? It's 14% were, yeah. they don't know, they're still unsure, 15% originally, 52% said, no, they're not worried. 53% are, so barely a change. And 33% said, yes, they're worried. And now 33% still say that they're worried. Yeah, I think we're going to find that it's going to be pretty steady until the light at the end of the tunnel gets brighter or, or dimmer or whatever it's going to do. Steven, truckstop.com, that's where they go to find you. After the show, I'll connect you and uh, Scott, like I'd, me- I'd mentioned Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. We know you had to you had to jump in on short notice to be a fill-in, but uh, I always love talking to you, man. Awesome. And thank you both very much for having me. It is always a pleasure. Any Anytime you need, Tim, I'll be there, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, yeah, I love hearing from Stephen. He's, he's a good cat. Yeah. I also love hearing from our our comment section, and I also love hearing our book. So we'll get to shadows. We'll get to the book winner. Let's do the drawing first, yep. Kevin. That's the fun part. Yes. So uh, what is the book we're giving away? And uh, I'll throw my into my random number generator. 
It is Jeffrey Fox's How to Become a Rainmaker, and it gives you some really good KPIs that are universal, easy to understand, clear and concise. It's an easy read, which I really like. You know, 150, 160 pages, uh, one to two page chapters. It's is great. So, so yeah. So this is uh, this is it. So let's uh, draw. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say if you stop talking, I'll hit the drum roll. There right, okay. Sorry. Boom, 34. Who is 34? It's Carter Sharp. Carter Sharp, you are the winner. We will contact you on on LinkedIn and, and let you know how uh, how this all went out. Good stuff. Hope White, by the way, she joins. She said, I hope everyone's doing well. So do we. Uh, Stephen, Hello, Hope. Stephen Elliott here is Amanda Miller, Stan Duncan. Oh, Stan Duncan says, familiar with recognized con- cognitive bias might be the first and most important step in combating potentially negative effects in sales. Stan, Stan Duncan always bringing the... Uh, the mental, the mental nuggets to us, Kevin. He is always mental nuggets. Speaking of, he won. He won the book always last week. He did. Yeah, he won the uh, hundred dollar startup. By the way, so next week, people, people landing business, viewers landing business who who pay attention to the show. Nicole Glenn, she said, wanted to tell you that I landed my first new potential customer to schedule a meet with my BC because of a video. She tried eight times. Then she did a video, and within two minutes, he accepted her invite, said thanks for the video and persistence, so thank you. Kevin, that is what we were, we were kind of trying to hammer in that episode, too, is that not enough people are, in, ter- in terms of LinkedIn messaging, they're not using enough video to get people's attention, just to say, give them a personalized little message, keep it about 90 seconds or less, and uh, let them know why you want to connect. Super simple. Yeah, it's super simple. I, I like 30 seconds or, or less myself because I have a short attention span. Uh, but that was a great note from from Nicole. Uh, and and it, it just shows you the power of video. And if you aren't trying video right now, at least try it. I mean, everyone's sending emails. Everyone's cold calling. Uh, within two minutes, she had that, that, that person uh, meeting set up and, and, and hopefully business transacting very soon. So if you haven't tried video, just try it. The one thing I have noticed. It's the worst that can happen. I don't know if, if, if you've noticed this or anyone in the comments section has, but video on LinkedIn used to perform better than just regular posts. But I've noticed recently that even if video has like 50 likes on it, it might only have like 1,100 views where like a post with 50 likes will have, you know, like 5,000 views on it. Although the engagement on video seems to be high. It's very high. It's very high. So, so the n- amount of views total is, is is lower. But ever since I started doing video, what three four weeks ago? Yeah, I'll do a couple of videos uh, a week. The likes and the comments, the engagement, is at least double, if not triple, what a normal post that I do. You know, I might get twenty or thirty over two or three days on if I send out a chart or a graph, some some content. I do a video, I'll do 30 or 40. I did 30 or 40 last night. You know, I didn't post anything until 6.30, 7 o'clock Eastern time. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure by the end of today, it's going to be 50 or 60 uh, likes. So if you haven't gone on and liked that, that video I shared uh, <laughs> yesterday, go do it now so I, I can be proven right. Wow, you're shameless, Kevin. Melissa Price, I, she says, yeah. uh, I agree, 30 seconds <laughs> is is great for videos that you're sending in uh, in comments. Stephen Elliott says, sounds like a great book. Video on my email has resulted in more engagement. Martin Mayotte says that. Guys, if you want to be in this next book drawing, so simple, just leave your name in the comment section. Contact Kevin and I along here. Uh, a couple more. Wasim Menier, he said, uh, hey, Dooner, hope you had a great weekend. Thanks again for the shout-outs on Thursday afternoon for the awesome conference experience. You guys killed it. Who else we got here? Eric Serta. 
um, who I'm, I'm super impressed with Eric's story. He's been, he's been circling around all of our content, taking it yeah. all in. He's, he's been, to, he's been checking out every single live show, going into the conference, networking. I mean, this guy is, is doing it all. He's like a, he's like a disciple of what we're trying to, to treat here. I really like it. And he said, he says this though. I made almost 30 solid contacts today. The largest one day growth he's ever had on, on LinkedIn just by going into, um, just by going into that Slack channel during the event. You know, I, I had probably the, the best one day total after last week's put that coffee down on Wednesday. I, I think I within an hour I had forty or fifty. There were so many there's uh, so many LinkedIn it was insane. There's so many LinkedIn links within that linked up channel, within that Slack channel. And again, you can you can go and join up that Slack channel anytime you want, freightwaveslive.com. Go there. There's a link to the Slack channel. Go and do it. Go even if it's just to go to that link up section. Go there, and you could make a ton of connections. There's like 250 uh, LinkedIn profiles in there. It took me like four days to comb through the whole entire thing and connect with everybody. Yeah, it, it took me a, a few hours to do it my, myself. And if you haven't connected with either myself, Kevin Hill, or Dooner on LinkedIn, go and, and do that now. Yeah, Rebecca Camp. She said, "Great to connect." She loved the conference. Jonathan Druin. He said. It was live. Great job. Live event earlier this week. Awesome stuff. Mike Muldoon. Get this. He says, Dooner, meet Dooner. Hey, I'm Mike Dooner Muldoon here. I started a podcast on April 8th. He's on his fifth episode. Uh, I had I had Ike Willis from the Frank Zappa band on. He's creating his own Dooniverse. Nice. <laughs> All right. So Dooniverse. That, that sounds a little scary. Yeah. Well, you ever see Into the Spider-Verse? Great superhero movie. Uh, <laughs> I, have, I have, yes. Uh, Gerald Smith, he says, was listening to put that coffee down on Freightways Live while I worked and wonder what trends will land supply chains and freight management. Stay tuned. We'll cover those. We also had great messages in the Slack channel during the event from Jeffrey Hurl, Christopher Thornton, Ignacio Torres, Felicia Siglaris, Clark Wellman, Tim Spangler, Lisa Petty. She said she'd like to be in the drawing. You were. Uh, Melanie Graff, Christine Rakoxi, Justin Shepard says uh, his videos did so well because Kevin is so good looking. <laughs> Chris Chris Jolly says, although he has a face for radio, he will give video messaging a try. Uh, <laughs> uh, all good stuff there. By the way, we talk about connecting, so you can also connect with us. Connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Timothy Dooner. That's D O N E R. Kevin, what's the best way to get to you? LinkedIn, Kevin Hill, H I L L. Yeah, and the best way you can and give just, back is yep. share the content, spread the love, connect with us uh, as you guys are already doing. We love the engagement on there. If you're listening to this on Freightcast or you're watching the playback, make sure to come Wednesday, noon Eastern time. Join us on live shows and you can completely interact with us. It's super cool. We love the engagement. And even if you divert our show a little bit in your direction, more than happy to help, especially if that's the way the community wants to go. We, Kevin and I kind of consider this a crowdsourced sales show. It is a crowdsource and very uh, two-way engagement. We'd love to, to interact with everybody. <laughs> Let's see. Do I miss anybody else here? Uh, Grace Sharkey said, did it, Kevin read Harry Potter yet? I don't know if I have time before they play the entrance music, but I got something for Grace. Yeah, yeah I know, right? We're getting the countdown right here. <laughs> I don't know where dinner went, but have a great... There you go. Ah. I got friends on the I make it back? business. I got expensive. Win expensive. I got expensive. I make it back in time on my Harry Potter. Oh. Oh. <laughs>